It don't matter what I try I just can't win and I don't know why There's a fork in every road I pick the wrong one and then I go American loser, yes I am Disenfranchised from everything well, I fall up and I fall down Hey there, folks. It's KP Burke. Welcome back to another episode of American Loser. It is the podcast that puts the spotlight firmly on second place. We are live at the Bellworks, all right? A shared universe studio, okay? Here at the Bellworks in Homedale, New Jersey. Mike and Ming take great care of us. Behind the ones and twos, Kahuna has been – Kahuna's actually – he's going through a medical procedure, you guys. Um, he's being <laughs> chemically castrated. It's ordered by the state. Um, yeah. He cannot just, uh, let that reproduce. Yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> no. We love the we love our handsome fellow. He's actually over at the Smodcast recording summit, so we're very lucky. We have uh, our good pal CJ Cullen hanging with us here. CJ, how you doing, brother? I'm doing all right. All right. How many more days? Nine more. Nine more days. And he <laughs> Nine more wake-ups. The party animal. And if, by the way, you guys, um, you should, yeah, I think most of the listeners already know CJ too, a lot of them. Uh, and if you don't, he's, uh, him and Ming are always uh, gallivanting around these conventions and stuff all around town. Actor, director, CJ Cullen, folks. We just got into a film festival, actually, and I'm going to go t- uh, in August with Ming because he was invited to, uh, what, what, what are those Indian casinos? Which one? Uh, one of the two. I forget which one. Hey, hey, two. hey. Native American. I think there's casino. more than two, by the way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> big ones. Foxwoods. 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 That's a good one, too, man. That's a, uh, Mohegan Sun actually has one of my favorite clubs, Comics Roadhouse, inside of it. That's a great spot up there, man. And real quick, too, first of all, congrats on that. That's pretty cool, man. It's good to have you back in here. Yeah. Um, and then also, you guys heard the other voice, too, a returning guest, one of the favorites. Max Antonucci, folks. Hello, everybody. Happy to be here. This one, I, I always love working with you, buddy. You're one of my great pals. Super funny comic. Uh, actually, you, I was very happy you came out and did a spot uh, at the album release party. You killed it. It was everybody the best. It. it was the best. Yeah, I had the second time. second best spot of the night. You were number one. That's I'm it. just kidding. I don't know how I was, but you were number one. You were the best. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, Max, you're funny fucking dude. And he Thanks. gets the show, too. Always a good guest, man. And you know this is going to be a good one, too, because uh, Max texted me and he said, Hey, man, just so you know, I am a subject matter expert at this one particular <laughs> thing. And it's something we alluded to earlier. So this, this has everything that we want, right, Lawrence Patrick? Absolutely, absolutely. We should we probably introduce my dilf of a dad, too. He's already done his homework and uh, <laughs> uh, didn't have to uh, cram last night on Wikipedia or anything. He, he knew from long ago. Yes. From the tender age of, what you say, 13? 13, yeah, okay. 13 years old. <laughs> Oh, Made man. an impression on the young man. Yes, sure. it sure did. What's a good one? It has all the elements of a classic uh, American Loser episode, which, by the way, and real quick, I want to say thank you so much to everybody who's sticking with the show and, and uh, helping us out here. Sometimes uh, we get off track. Sometimes the guests go a little bit crazy here. Um, and then sometimes the schedules are a little bit goofy. Sometimes the subject maybe just doesn't pop how we want it to. But we do pride ourselves on sitting down and writing this fucking thing every week for you. So thank you so much for all the support for that. If you guys want to help us keep being able to buy Ming Chen's love uh, for as low as $3 a month over on Patreon, $3, 5 bucks a month, I'll throw you up. We'll start sending you merch and stuff like that. Actually, we got something big coming up for the Patreon folks at the end of the month, Dad. We're doing a big readout. We're doing some thank yous. We're going to do a couple of messages and stuff. 
stuff like there that. There you go. We got to take care of the good people here. And also, of course, it would not. Uh, well, you guys know how to do it. it support the, the show. Good people on the Patreon, we wouldn't be here. The founding so. losers are the reasons we get to keep doing this show. <laughs> right. So, for as little as three bucks a month. So, if you're enjoying the show, it boils down to about a buck a show. If that's all you want to do, man, just join up for the three bucks. That's all I ask. If it keeps me able to afford buying these folks. Um, that being said, we have to plug one more thing real quick, Dad. Um, the esteemed Christian Cordez, uh, acclaimed director of uh, a certain comedy special, okay, uh, produced by the Laugh Button, the great people over the Laugh Button. Escape from Jacksonville is out. It's on YouTube, folks. Go check that thing out. I think we're at like 14,000 views right now, which Woo! I'm pretty happy about. Yeah, I have um, I'm very petty, Max. I'm very petty. I'm a good guy, but there's other people's numbers that I saw, and I was like, well, I'm funnier than that motherfucker. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, well, that's how it goes. Yeah, you know, that's how it happens at first. But truth. eventually, those numbers are going to rise. It's a. Uh, well, here's the thing. You start to see when you pass them up, then you start to feel better. Like, all right, I'm validated and vindicated. Of but I would never be upset about that until I saw that. I never even was sitting there like, I should record an album until I saw somebody that I was like, that guy's not even fucking funny. Why is <laughs> yeah, he yeah. Album? really. But that's what you need to light a fire under that's your ass is to see, you know, I recently started posting stuff to Instagram just because I was seeing other people post stuff. And I'm like, how do you lack the awareness to, <laughs> to put that out into Don't the internet? Don't say his name, Max. I'm not going to say his name. KP and I, uh, aside from being great friends, also like to – we're great shit talkers. So we, we like to share certain people's uh, – I'll just say plural this way. It's not. Yes, perfect. Yes, perfect. it's not just one comedian that we both know that we share their <laughs> shitty videos for. Well, because you, you, it's a writing exercise, you know, um, you know, a lot of educated people in here, but it's a writing exercise. If you try to circle where you think that they think their punchline is. Yeah. And then you just can't find it. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. we're not here to shit on anybody on that one, man. I'm very happy. I'm very honored for all the good stuff that's been going on. Uh, Can't yeah. we all just get along? It's Come the on. truth. Yeah. <laughs> well, as of uh, the recording of this episode here too, guys, the uh, COVID joke that I have that uh, kind of went viral over on um, Instagram has been viewed over 5.3 million times. Woo! Oh, yeah, dude. The uh, It's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. It feels good about that part. Um, the comment section is uh, back and forth between people telling me I'm hilarious and it's one of the best bits they've ever heard. And then people blaming me for the deaths of their family members from COVID <laughs> and then other people just flat out denying COVID. So it's a, a mixed bag, but thank you to uh, all 5.3 million people or the one Indian sweatshop full of children doing labor, <laughs> making Nikes. They watch that whole thing. You're four and a half million views away from dating a Kardashian, in my opinion. That's, That's a, right around the corner. Yeah, I hope it's Rob. <laughs> <laughs> he just looks like he gets me. Uh, no, that's the goal. The whole thing, this entire thing was a ruse. This is just to get Paris Hilton to notice me. Yes. That's, that's it. it. <laughs> All right. Enough of my promo bullshit, guys. Um, I will throw to uh, Max and CJ at the end if they want to plug anything else. Uh, these are just two great guys. Very excited to be here with them. We're livening up an otherwise dead Monday. And um, I'll tell you guys what, we'll get right into it. A few episodes back, we discovered, uh, or we covered, I should say, the Wild Irish Boys of Hell's Kitchen, known as the Westies. Very popular episode. We got a lot of really good feedback on that one. Um, if you want to know more about them and their brand of chaos, check it out in the back catalog. We're not going to give any spoilers away, but in researching the Westies and how they were brought into the fold of the Italian mafia in New York, we came across a pretty great story and a pretty larger-than-life character by the name of Roy DeMeo. And uh, as soon as we started covering the Westies, Max, I think, texts me within like an hour when the episode comes. He goes, just so you know, since I was 13, I've been reading about the Gemini crew. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, that a boy Roy is uh, quite the character. <laughs> yeah. 
Larger than life, I would say. So you had an early exposure. We're going to get into his life and the backstory sure. and everything there too. But um, how did you, at the tender age of 13, wind up reading about one of the most feared murderers in mafia history? Was that a book of the month club uh, thing? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, from, uh, from one of my Scholastic family magazine, members. Uh, uh, yeah, so suggested. I, <laughs> I was always curious about uh, crime and things like that. And I tend to read a lot of true crime when I was younger. And I had come across the book Murder Machine, which had come out, I think, in the 80s. Uh, And I got my hands on it because every now and then I'd go to the true crime section and see a book that looked cool. Mm -hmm. And the cover of the book was just like this black uh, cover and then like a red square. And there was a guy holding a gun in front of his face. And I was like, oh, I got to read this. And it just said like the (laughs) most violent uh, gang in the mafia. So I was like, oh, I have to read this. And I read it and it just coincided with the time. Uh, that his son had put out a book. So I think I had maybe heard of it through an article about the son, Albert DeMeo, who put out a book from Damn. his perspective of what it was like of Daddy Dearest. of having his dad. <laughs> yeah. And very much like the Sopranos, you see the two different sides. You see the guy who's oh, there. the father, who's caring, he loves his kids, never misses an event for his kids. But then there's also the other guy who you'll see in a, you know, by the end of the next hour, hour and a half, why it's so crazy. Yeah. Well, it was always so troubling, not troubling, but it was one of those lines that uh, in Casino, when uh, Pesci's talking about how he's coaching Little League, or I'm sorry, the coach of his son's Little yes. League team is a cop in town or something like that. He goes, but we just let, they knew that they were, you know, at, they could be pointing guns at each other in a week, but hey, it's Saturday. This, we're here for the kids. Yes, you know it was I mean? very much, and you see that a lot with a lot of these guys, and him, Tony Spilatro, who Pesci played in Casino, was mm-hmm. also like a family guy, which a lot of them are, sure, you know? Sure, nice uh, family man and yeah, big donor to the church. And yeah, of course, <laughs> and then next thing you know, you're putting someone's head in a vice grip and popping their eyeballs out. <laughs> but as long as you're home to make pancakes for your kid in the morning, you right. good guy there you go oh, no that is uh, honest to god that is the gambit here and that's why i think this guy's so impressive too and he kind of jumps off the page um i'll tell you what for a guy with the reputation and by the way he was very the reason we know about him at first is just because he was highly impressed with the wild wild westies and their penchant for chaos and violence and that is quite the endorsement right from a guy who is also chaos and violence right right when he's the benchmark of uh of brutality, if you will, or whatever. Um, I think the phone call was uh, that he made is he goes, you don't understand. These guys are fucking crazy. Like, uh, so DeMeo <laughs> thinks they're crazy? Right. Oh, my God. DeMeo's, I think it's fair to say this, right, Dad? That he is probably the most fearsome gangland leader of maybe all time. He's on your Mount Rushmore of uh, don't fuck with this guy. <laughs> That's right. I mean, yeah, when other gangsters are afraid of even to cross his path, you know, that's uh, – that's saying something that uh, it's not a fear kind of a thing. It's just that, you know, people respect crazy and this guy truly was crazy. So it's the truth, man. And it's uh, he leaves quite the mark. And uh, like we said, a lot of the classic uh, elements of a good American loser episode are in here as well, too, because something gets named after him, if you will. Not him directly, but a certain method of disposing of people. Um, but he has to be born first. He is born September 7th. Ooh, a Virgo. You know, they're not in touch with their feelings. They're very, they're introverts. He would quietly think about himself and where he wanted to be in life as he took your head off. Um, In 1940, he's born to a working class Italian family. Hey, it's a nice, huh? Yeah. So Roy DeMeo would see many of the male influences in in his life die at early ages. 
Before Roy's 20th birthday, he would lose his father to a heart attack and his older brother would be killed in action serving in the Korean War. So Roy's mother then will actually leave the country and return back to Naples, Italy, not Florida, um, to live near relatives after the death of Roy's father. Yeah, and I think the mom went back to uh, to Italy with his youngest brother. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Got to keep – it's funny how these brothers work out. You kind of think about uh, the Two Gun Hard episode we did for a hot second there too where right. it's just a, what distance can do to right. uh, churning out a different personality type. But um, Well, he's old enough to take care of himself I guess at this point too. So Well, he's a young Italian fella. Brother. Yeah, right. Yeah. He's a young Italian fella. He's going to take up a little business. Uh, he gets into some stuff. He's He's got a knack for this loan sharking thing almost immediately. That's uh, that's when you can figure out your stuff. That's It's like the guy who runs your fantasy football league. And he goes, he goes, oh, yeah, you got to get this and then you get this percentage payout for that. It's like a guy who you could place illegal bets with you know, in high school. You're like, this guy's going to go on to do something. <laughs> right, with, right. Yeah, car dealership. He <laughs> might not be voted most most likely to succeed, but uh, in, in certain venues and certain uh, avenues, he's, uh, he's, a, he's a leader. Well, he's got a – it's very interesting, the skill set. You never know what you're going to do early on. I remember telling jokes. They would let me do a segment at the end campfire at a camp I worked at every week. I would do like a weekend update type thing. I would write jokes about – I really did. This is – right. I would write jokes about – And then you sit there and you're like – I was like maybe 16, 17 when I started doing that or whatever. And then now that's turned into just me, uh, 35 years old, 34. Actually, Jesus, I got to give myself a year. <laughs> and just, uh, you know, um, I haven't given up on that yet. And you never know what's going to stick with you. And Roy's interesting too because Roy, uh, he's going to get into the loan sharking really young. And he's also ironically apprenticing as a butcher – at a local grocery store. So now he's kind of left without direction in the middle of Brooklyn all alone. No good solid male role models in his life. And kids from that neighborhood, they didn't have many options too, by the way. Well, unless you're Bernie Sanders, who was a graduate, I believe a graduating classmate yeah, of Roy DeMeo. Roy DeMeo and Bernie Sanders both graduated from the same high school in, in New York. Fascinating. Yeah. One <laughs> wants to redistribute your wealth. The other wants to redistribute parts of you for not paying back. <laughs> See, all around a- Brooklyn. <laughs> Just another endorsement to the uh, public school system. Yes. <laughs> we can tr- – <laughs> uh, but as we covered – I'm going to set you up for success here, Lawrence Patrick Burke. As we covered in previous episodes, just to give people an idea because I, I think growing up around here, Max, we have – and I'm not saying we're connected or hooked up. There's so many people that try to be fake gangsters around here. Um, you know, the classic Jersey line of, you know who my cousin is, that kind of shit. But when you grow up around here, you know a, a little bit more about this – this weird thing, the you know, as they would call it um, out in the Midwest, the mafia. Yeah. The mafia, yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's Italian <laughs> in the mafia. Um, and there's a good line my godfather, Joe Bombelli, had when um, – that he went out to Oklahoma, right, for yeah. college? Yeah, that was, uh, that was back in the time when uh, um, The Godfather, the movie, was first released. And I can remember he left Jersey to go to college out in Oklahoma in a – Really was a Bible Belt of uh, Oklahoma, and when he first arrived as a freshman, he's first off he's one of them damn Yankees, you know, and, and a bad didn't help. He looked like Serpico. Either. Yeah, yeah <laughs> right. He really did, and uh, you know he, he's uh, a Yankee. He's an Easterner. He's one of them Italian fellers, you know, right? From, <laughs> and on top of that, he's in now in the bi- middle of a Bible Belt. 
and he's a Catholic, so he's one of the you know. Oh yeah. There's a lot of there's a lot of negatives. Well, the the Catholic thing and the Italian thing that kind of started working for him for some of the local females because of course, he, yeah. he, was the, he was the forbidden Son fruit. different, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, that part of it worked out for him. I can't wear condoms, babe. <laughs> <laughs> the guy in the pointy hat told me so. And uh, uh, but. Um, he gained a whole lot more respect with some of the other people in, around around the campus as soon as that, as soon as the you know the Godfather came out. They're like, "Holy shit!" Yeah. You know, is this guy connected? I mean, he is Italian and he is from back east, and and then just growing up in in Jersey too. I mean, you were talking about it that we got a certain sense of being in Jersey. You could ride around various neighborhoods and you would know that, well, I know who lives there. You know, yeah. there's rumors it's, that, yeah. you know, he might be in the uh, quote unquote, the garbage industry. Or we whatever, all had somebody but, uh, we went to high school with <laughs> whose dad made a little bit too much money for how, how street he spoke. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Hey, you kids have fun tonight. All right. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and I think it's, you know, obviously the mafia right now is not what it once was, right. but it's still active. And I would, Go out on a limb and say, I don't know, 75% of this state knows somebody mm -hmm. who either knows somebody or knows somebody who knows somebody. So right. it's always just like once or twice removed yeah. to where you very much so met like, someone. And it's, you know, kind of unspoken and you kind of know it when you meet like an uncle who's not really an uncle or, you know, right. like something like that, you know, I like got a guy, everyone's I yeah, got a everyone guy, everybody's got a guy. Yeah. Right? <laughs> and here's the fun part too. When they do think that about you, that you might be connected or whatever too, you don't have to correct them. Don't lie and say you're connected, but you don't have to correct them if they think like, let's just be a little careful about this guy here. I mean, yeah, some people that play sure. it up good. Right. Um, but uh, now you just said something interesting, Max. You said the, the mafia is not what it once was. So it, it is still very much so something to be respected and feared. And you certainly don't want to be on the wrong end of anything that those guys are about. Um, but when they first had the inception here, like I said, we grew up in the area. We kind of know a little bit more. So to know about the five families is nothing crazy. No. For us. That can get a little weird if you're like, you know, when I was down in Jacksonville and you just like see people like, is it really like the Sopranos up there? And I was like, uh, yes, unfortunately. <laughs> to, an extent, yeah, yeah. <laughs> to a certain extent and in certain yeah. neighborhoods. Yeah, that's um, – Or certain industries. I mean, you know, is the mafia still actively engaged today? Well, yeah, and not so much. But, you know, you're still going to be hard-pressed to get a cement delivery in Manhattan without – Knowing some guy that's going to take care of things for you. Well, one day we'll do the little Nikki episode I've been <laughs> dreaming of. So, but uh, Lawrence Patrick Burke, just for those who we got a lot of listeners um, in other countries and stuff too that don't fully understand this, as uh, in, and I know I, I give you these impossible tasks every week. <laughs> in uh, in a, a synopsis, here, in a what's, bullet. <laughs> what's the elevator pitch for the creation of the five families? Well, um, it really gets its start with the various immigrant waves. I mean, but it was small time gangs, if you will, neighborhood gangs. So as there was an Irish wave, an Irish immigrant wave, there would be the Irish gangs. And, um, you know, Gangs of New York, that famous movie that was in, back in uh, the 1860s. So you had the Irish gangs. But within that movie, you could also see there was Chinese gangs, there was German gangs, there was every immigrant wave had their own neighborhood, if you will, and they had their own gang that would take care of the neighborhood. Um, but really what the game changer was up, up, you know, through the early 1900s, 
it was really small time stuff. It was loan sharking. It was petty theft. It was, um, you know, racketeering and that kind of stuff, prostitution, gambling and that kind of stuff. The illegals that people are going to want to have a good time. Operating in the shadows. Operating in the in the shadows, you know, run, running the numbers. Now we call it the lottery, but <laughs> running the numbers, uh, whatever the case might be. But the real game changer was in 1920 with the 18th Amendment that now we've got prohibition. People want to drink um, and national government, federal government said that uh, it's illegal um, for that. Well, the underworld is going to take care of things for you. They're, they're going to find a way for you to get to get your drink. So bootlegging and the rackets become big time. It's very, very financially rewarding to what was now some of these small time gangs. As soon as they get into the illegal money, <coughs> excuse me. <coughs> oh, the pride of Italy, folks. Get back to it, Lawrence yeah, Patrick. Yeah. Um, soon as um, you know the the bootlegging starts, they're making big time money, and with big money, there's big influence and the political corruption and everything else that's going to go on there. But um, there's in 1916, one of the leading members of what was at that point the Five Points Gang is uh, a guy by the name of. Uh, uh, his nickname is Lucky, Charles Lucky Luciano. Um, well, Lucky um, is a gang member, as they say, in the Five Points gang. And he's got some friends that are not Italian, which was kind of an unheard of thing that he's, mm -hmm. he's going uh, intermingling with some of these others because it was very much a, a closed shop. Uh, if you're... In an Italian gang, you don't deal with people who are other than Italians. And even step further, if you're not Sicilian Italian, <laughs> you're not dealing with uh, anybody. But uh, this guy, Lucky Luciano, he has a gangster friend, Meyer Lansky, and he also has uh, some other guys, uh, Bugsy Siegel and some of the other names that people might have heard of. Um, Arnold Rothstein. Yeah, obviously. and he starts he starts doing very, very well for himself. He's making a name for himself in the underworld. And he gets appointed to be a top lieutenant for um, a big time uh, crime family uh, by the, a guy by the name of Giuseppe Joe the Boss Mazzara. Mazzara. Max, feel free to, to help him out. Mazzaria? I think it's Mazzaria. Mazzaria. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Thank, thank you, up. Max, for have, being the resident uh, eye tie here to help me out. <laughs> help this Irish well, kid out yeah, with the, uh, with the uh, I don't think CJ Cullen, Kevin Patrick, or Lawrence Patrick are going to get this shit right today, folks. Right. So we apologize. A lot of vowels. A lot of vowels on that little island of theirs, the peninsula. Well, one of the things that we see at this time, though, I mean, they're making big time money off of uh, illegal booze, off of uh, prohibition. Um, but there's also some generational things going on. So you got the, the millennials who want, who want to uh, do things a little differently yeah. than the way their fathers did it. That's um, funny, by the way, to think about the idea of people from the 1900s being considered millennials. <laughs> yeah, <Right>. yeah. <laughs> I never put that together. And really what it, what's, what's going on here too is that um, up until this point, a lot of the big time crime bosses or these, these gang leaders, if you will, are – born overseas, they're over in Sicily, and they came to the United States as adults. We're now, by the 1920s, we're starting to see um, gangsters who were born in this country, and 
you know, they grew up as Americans, if you will, and want to start doing things a little differently. So they they start to intermingle with some of the other some some of the other crime gangs, um, you know, that they're not afraid to deal with the uh, the Jewish gangs or the Irish gangs. As long as they're making money. It, you know, yeah. That, and that's isn't that what America is all about? You <laughs> right. know, just making money with anyone, Finally, no matter the, what the ethnicity. The they're they're tank, baby yeah. entrepreneurs, that's, right? what, that's the American dream, you know? <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, um, so there is uh, some generational friction, if you will, with the old guard, which is the old the old timers are got to be called the mustache peats, the mustachio peats that uh, you don't deal with non Sicilians. Uh, those who don't know because they're not in the studio with us, Max is rocking quite the Yanni mustache right now. <laughs> well, you know, I actually just trimmed it down yesterday. Like- I'm kind of insecure. I feel like it's too light now. Like no, I should good. just shave it all off. I, I, I LP's got the best mustache here now. <laughs> it's uh, it's given me a complex mind. I had a mustache that I shaved it down to yesterday, and then this morning I woke up. I said, I can't, I can't be seen like this. Nah, you look handsome, yeah. buddy. Oh, it's not good. Read the comments on some of the things. <laughs> Fat Jake Paul. All right, it's getting old, folks. <laughs> Sorry to interrupt. Uh, that. No, that's all right. But Mustachio anyhow, Pete, the old guard. Yeah, so there's some young guard. The young, the young, the younger generation get to be known as the Young Turks versus the uh, the Mustache Pete's. So they want to modernize. They want to. As long as you're making money, you, we, we can deal with some of those Irish kids, some of those Jewish kids. <laughs> Some of whatever, whoever's making the money. Well, anyhow, there's a big feud, a big war breaks out in 1928 between two of the leading mafiosos, the, the crime families, uh, Giuseppe Massacera. Did I get that right, Massaria, Max? I Massaria? Yeah. Okay. And Maranzano. Um, and that becomes known as the Castle Mares. War. Uh, war. Yeah. Okay. How'd I do? <laughs> Castle Mores? You understand? Yeah, He's sure. sweating right now. You're doing great. You're doing great, Dad. All right? We love uh, you. It's not, uh, it's not the Irish stew here, is it? We're not missing yet. Uncle Paulie here today. Yeah, man. we you are missing Uncle Paulie for sure to help us out with that. Um, but anyhow, there's a big war that breaks out. Dozens of mobsters are killed. Uh, there's back and forth. And it's a big power struggle. And it's all over money. I mean, let's face it. That, that's the root of all evil here is uh, is the money. And they're trying to gain control. This guy, Lucky Luciano, who is working for one of the mob heads, arranges to have the guy killed. Um, so there's there's the constant flip flop about whoever's whoever you're working for, so that you really can't be trusted. Uh, and that was one of the reasons why these mustache peats would. Do, you're only dealing with Sicilians because they understood the you know, the unwritten code of the West kind of a thing. <laughs> that um, anyhow, Luciano um, arranges for the one guy to be killed, which puts the other mob boss in power. And once he assumes power, he quick Luciano finds out that this guy is now looking to kill Luciano, the guy who actually put him into power. He's looking to kill him because he's afraid of the underling. You're always you're always afraid of who's looking to take you out. Oh yeah. Um, so the long and the short of it is. Both of these mob heads are, are killed. Uh, Luciano arranges to assassinate Maranzano, and Luciano reigns supreme, that he is the one of the last men standing kind of a thing. 
And this war was going on for two years, and then it was mobsters being killed on the streets, I mean, left and right all over the place. And going to war costs money. So Luciano, money. Yeah, yeah. Luciano realizes that, hey, we got to stop this. We got to stop the infighting because it's really cutting into the bottom line. Of course. And he arranges to have all of these five families, if you will, forming into a national crime syndicate syndicate so they actually map out they map out the united states and the 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 capital if you will is going to be new york where these five five gang uh, five families are this national crime syndicate and he starts to organize this thing as a as a business it's a business i mean we're gonna we're gonna make some we're gonna make some bucks here the commission the commission and he forms the commission and he also makes himself the head of the commission so if there's any infighting we're gonna settle it you know like gentlemen at the table and we're gonna settle it out rather than going to war and and killing people and this uh this commission decides that there's going to be five uh, main families and they take their their name by the by the guys who were really heading up those gangs at that particular time Vito Genovese, Joe Provesi, uh, Joe Bonanno, uh, Carlo Gambino and Lucky Luciano. Um, so there's five families in New York and there's a total in this commission. There's a total of seven families. There's one in Chicago and then there's one in, in Buffalo. That's the commission. These are the guys that are going to, to make all the decisions the nationwide. Guys up in Buffalo, if I recall, they got into loan sharking and uh, price gauging uh, tables for people to be put through at tailgates. Is that correct? <laughs> that's that's a, my understanding. That's right. They're called the bills. And mafia. the wings. Gotta, don't forget the wings in Buffalo. It's big money in wings. So anyhow, Lucky Luciano um, makes himself the head of this commission and instead of all this constant infighting with all these various uh, gangs, um, now it's it's a national syndication. It's a it's La Cosa Nostra that uh, that's the that's really the beginning. So instead of having these a lot of these infightings and these little family feuds, if you will, which are leaving people dead in the street, now we're going to uh, be businessmen about this whole thing and let's make some additional additional more money. For by, sure. By working together, you know, jointly. And we'll we'll divide up. We'll figure out how we're going to divide up the spoils. I mean, and there's certainly other gangs in, in Kansas City and, you know, all, all over, over the place. But the the big the big seven are, are the ones that are and five of which are in New York. So there you go. New York City, forever. Uh, by the way, just uh, you landed that plane, Lawrence Patrick. You landed, <laughs> well, we, we tried. We tried. clap for you, man. Okay. No, that was you did great, dude. That's a, <laughs> he really wanted to be on his game for you here, Max. He was he was happy you were coming in. So you did great. Yeah, dude. you just got to help me out with the. I'm going off of memory <laughs> for all of this. I, I spent a lot of time with my nose deep in these books when I should have been, you know, focusing on my education. You know, that's the problem. Nah. But instead, I just wound up becoming a weed dealer at the <laughs> age of 15, which I think the statute of limitations has passed since. No, you're good on that one for sure. The yeah. uh, the uh, it, it is weird though because when you start reading something more interesting than the stuff you're reading in school, 
very hard. Oh, you can't go back. I couldn't turn back. It was well, eighth grade. That, maybe that's the influence too, because uh, you know some of these guys, uh, the Mr. DeMeo, uh started dealing great with, student. Uh, yes, started started <laughs> dealing weed and stealing cars and everything else. Yeah, and, you know there was there's money. Ne- to be I made, never so. stole a car, but I've been in a stolen car <laughs> multiple times. <laughs> but right. I never did the physical stealing. No, I hear you. I've been holding guns for my name. the wheel. Yeah. Oh my God. Now, uh, so that is the setup of how the the inception of the the, the organized crime, yeah, the commission, La Cosa Nostra, all that good stuff here. So now we're going to fast forward a couple years later here, and although Roy DeMeo would begin working as an associate of the Lucchese crime family, Lucchese, okay. Lucchese, thank you, thank God he's here. Yeah, we're really going from Godfather two, right? Yeah. With, with Lucky with Luciano oh, yeah. and in the early 1900s, now we're fast forward. Now we're coming up more to the 60s to the, and 70s. Yeah, well, post post World War oh, Two, yeah. with uh, Michael Corleone coming home from the from the big war, and then uh, things are heating up through the 50s and the 60s. And I feel like uh, Roy DeMeo is more. Like uh, what's his name? Uh, Andy Garcia in Godfather Three, just a fucking loose cannon, you know? Interesting. Just a crazy guy. That's like the new generation. Well, it's so kind of like yeah, you settle down a little bit, but then you still need the tough guy enforcers and stuff. Yeah, this shit goes all the way back. If you talk to them, they, it goes back to Rome, where it was like, yeah, the person in your town you would pay tribute to, and then they would take care of your problems or whatever. And it really is like they say in Godfather, oh, Goodfellas, rather. Um, it was the cops for people who couldn't go to the cops. Yeah, exactly. So that, that there's really something to that. But um, this is what I love, by the way, is that uh, DeMeo gets noticed. Just to write that, DeMeo gets noticed for his loan sharking. Like a talent scout is out there just like, you know, this kid's got something. Yeah, best goddamn talent scout, Anthony Nino Gaggi. Gaggi there. Thank God he said it first, folks. I was going to call him Gaggi. Yeah, I wanted to get on top of that. <laughs> I knew it. Yeah, thank you for that. <laughs> I listened to the Westies episode. I think you mentioned him and I was like, oh, I got to get in there. I really, I'm glad you're here, buddy. Because I have no excuse. I've dated enough Italian girls. I shouldn't be getting any of this shit wrong. But, um, but anyway, he would stop working. Uh, they decided that this uh, Gadgie said he came through. He goes, listen, I got um, I got ideas for you. Man. He goes, you're making a little bit of money as an associate over here. You come work for the Gambinos, straight up. You start working directly for us. You're gonna make way more money. You want to make the real cash? Bring in, man. So. Yeah, and that's kind of like uh, with the Gambinos and the Lucchese family. So like when you look at it, it's kind of like playing for like a, a small market team or playing for the New York Yankees. You know, Ooh. it's like playing for I don't know baseball, but triple, I don't know, Florida or, uh, yeah. Are they still a team? They are, and that's the whole thing. Do you yeah. want to go? Uh, do you want to be the most talented guy where no one notices you're working, or do you want to you know maybe get a bigger paycheck and go play for Seattle or something? You want to wear the pinstripes, mm-hmm. you know, out loud and proud. Man. There yes. you go. It's uh, and it's crazy too because there is like um a rock star quality to the Gambinos mainly because of the huge names that are going to come into the the second of half course. of the story. Yeah, now let me just stop here because I think Gadji was also a made man. He was part. He was yeah. He was part. He was of, Yeah, he was already a soldier right. in the family, and then he was still. He wasn't a captain or anything yet. He was just a, a soldier uh, at the time that he spotted Roy, which is why it's like, you know, when you see how things escalate with these guys, they always wind up like picking other people out to develop their crew. And you'll right. see that with what Roy <laughs> did and why it went so crazy with everything. Uh, but yes, continue. Sorry. Yeah, but what, no, with, it's the, with the syndicate, though, with the commission, um, you would have to you were now for the first time allowing people to come into the mob who were non-italians 
as long as they're kicking you, up. You had to be approved oh, yeah. by the commission in order to be what they would call a made man to, yeah. to earn your turn your stripes, if you will. And all of that stuff only started to change, I think, in the '90s with uh, John Gotti Jr. Because John Gotti Jr.'s uh, like John Gotti's son is half, I think, Russian or Polish because that's what <laughs> John Gotti's wife was. Right. So as things went on, like you see in Goodfellas, where it's like you can never be. He could never be made because he wasn't a hundred percent Italian. That's how it was like back right, then. But right. now it's like if you're like three percent Italian, as long as you have the vowel at yeah. the end of the name, you're a mud, you can get in. You're a mudblood. You're yeah, Harry Potter like mudblood. A, a little. Uh, I I wish I knew that reference, but I'm so happy that the person who brings up Harry Potter on the show is my seven year old father. <laughs> um, in fact, it's so funny too, especially for these. Um, heritage-based honor societies and stuff like that. There's actually a bar in Belmar, the Friendly Sons of the Shillelagh, the Shillelagh Club, who um, the uh, it's a great bar, awesome place, really cool people. Um, but I walk in there and I'm a rock star because I'm nothing but, baby. Yeah. Right? They've lowered the standard too. I think it's, we asked that you- Wait, you lowered the standard. Listen, listen to this primo, guy. all right? Hey, German, all right? <laughs> Chill out, will you? Listen, hey. hey. <laughs> Uncle Adolf. <laughs> Uh, you can tell I'm pure-blooded Irish. That's why my eyes don't quite match up on either side of my face. But um, <laughs> it's um, it's one eighth now Irish that they would have. So they have to you have to evolve with the times, man. We are the melting pot here, and you're going to want. So I'd be able to get in there. Absolutely. Oh, well, hell bring, yeah. bring in in a heartbeat, buddy. Yes. Just go. go with me, not my father. He's <laughs> all right. They're trying to figure out what this crowd's up to. Um, <laughs> but. Uh, DeMeo's very intrigued by this opportunity, by the way. Jumps on board right away. He's already a strong earner. He's showing a passion for, again, carjacking and uh, loan sharking. Luckily, both of those endeavors will allow Roy to put to use the education he received in his formidable teenage years in the butcher shop. Roy is about to put together what I'm going to go ahead and call a crew for the ages. Um, this DeMeo crew, under the guidance of uh, Anthony Gaggi, would become a money-making, blood-spilling machine. DeMeo is a brutal, brutal man, but a very, very smart man. He's able to use legal means to back up his illegal ends. I couldn't believe this shit worked. This is – when you hear about like old school Brooklyn and the pride people have of being from there, I get it. I totally get it. It's not the same Brooklyn that it is right now where it's kind of like a theme park. Um, <laughs> it's where like rich kids go to like oh, yeah. live action role play being poor. <laughs> you know, it's like they're going there on their trust funds. Live and action they're just living play. out. You didn't understand. The poor fantasy. You didn't understand what it was like growing up in the streets of Brooklyn. You had to go to indoor bowling alley to outdoor bowling alley. <laughs> Oh my God. But it's a wild thing. But you totally get this one makes me laugh so friggin' hard. Um, DeMeo is such a genius. And this only would work in Brooklyn. Maybe it would work in Jersey. But uh, DeMeo is smart enough to grab himself a seat on the board of directors at a Brooklyn credit union so that he could help launder his money. In for, and then also that introduces him to the big money in town and stuff like, hey, you guys want to help support this other project I'm working on? You know, about, I got this great car business. I'm, you know, I'm moving vehicles left. Yeah, it's import-export. You know, you guys, why don't you get on board a little bit? Throw me a little cash, will you? Yeah, he's moving cars, but uh, what he's also doing is now he's moving drugs too, which some of the old guard um, did not want to get involved. Yeah, with it was always that. shunned upon by uh, definitely the Gambino family. Some of the other ca uh, families were a little... You know, they'd let you do it. A little it. more loose. You know, loose yeah, they were like, oh, whatever. They yeah, look the make other way. Right. What makes yeah. me laugh is how often DeMeo seems to get scolded and they say, hey, don't do that. And DeMeo goes, nah, I'm going to just keep doing what I do. And yeah. He would say sorry, but then nothing would happen. And mm -hmm. then it's like, okay. Right. But it, it, all, that's all you could do to say to him because as we'll find out throughout this, he becomes a huge earner. 
like just so much money through the right. hand over stealing fist. cars it, it, enough to uh, we'll keep going so no, i'm you, getting uh, ahead you, of myself you are the subject matter expert so when you when i'm glossing yeah, yeah. over something interrupt please yeah, yeah. So now uh, DeMeo is very, very good here because he's able to use that. He's now laundering the money that he's also bringing in to fund his illegal operations all through this credit union in Brooklyn. Um, DeMeo is able to cover his tracks financially and criminally. And uh, he and his crew are so good at disposing of bodies. There's actually a couple instances where other families were sending bodies to him, to his shop. Be like, hey, you can make this go away, right? And he goes, yeah, let me – it's like like a contractor dad just saying like, yeah, give me three guys on a Saturday. I could yeah. probably bang this deck out. <laughs> it's like they have on the commercial, right? You just point and it disappears. <laughs> well, his his motto for bodies was – no body, no charge. Like no body, no crime. You know, like right. you can't go to jail for murder right. if you can't find the body, which is not true. Right. <laughs> but it's, I guess it's kind of logical in 1975. That you can't, you can't uh, com commit, convict if you're, there's no body there. Yeah. He's just went away. He's missing. I don't know. He's he's out there somewhere. He went out to check the furnace. Right. And the first <laughs> one that they kind of did that with was a guy named Andre Katz. Are this we, is the best one. Yeah, are we this gonna go over best. this? I'll set you up for success and sure. everyone's this is great, man. This is my <laughs> this is the story where it's one of those ones where you're like, I'm reading this at two o'clock in the morning writing notes and you're like, What the some the Wikipedia got edited on me. There's no <laughs> way this is real. But when DeMeo needed someone to disappear. They disappeared. But when he wanted to send a message, let's just say he never left a second one. Okay? I think that's fair to right, say. Right, right. Message received. <laughs> now, he's got a little bit of a feud going on with one of his business partners in the carjacking service here that he's got going on. Uh, and that is your boy, uh, Andre Katz. So, uh, take it away from memory, whatever you got to do, Max. Yeah. So, Andre Katz, uh, I believe he was the son of Holocaust survivors. Uh, and then his parents came to the States. Uh, he... They owned, I believe, an auto body shop and he took it over or was working for it. Uh, they knew he was kind of involved with something because he was partnered up with Roy on a lot mm -hmm. of the stolen cars. And a stolen car back then, you know, you could sell it for, I don't know, say like five grand just on itself, change the VIN and everything, get it, alter the paperwork. But the parts itself would double or triple the right. amount of what a stolen car could go for. Shop, shop, shop baby. Yeah. Hence, you got the chop shop and you have all these cars. And I mean, you send out, let's say the car is, you sell it for parts for, let's say, $15,000. You're only paying some kid, you know, like obviously Roy DeMeo now surrounds himself with a bunch of young guys who are looking to go out there and make money every night. And he only has to pay him a couple hundred bucks per right. car. Right. And he's making you know, $13,000 profit mm -hmm. on that. He's a good earner. So, yeah. <laughs> it's like my buddy Ming's got this uh, thing. Where he, goes, <laughs> he goes, listen, I'm going to buy microphones, all right? And then I'm going to make these assholes pay every week to come use them. <laughs> but here's the thing. There's a Stormtrooper helmet sitting on the floor. <laughs> <laughs> but you are correct, man. Now, uh, Andre Katz is going to get into a – he starts – I'll tell you what, there, there's a thing that I heard where it's like, you're allowed to take meetings. Like they know it's not like with the mob where it's, you see on like Sopranos or something. Why don't they just tell Tony that the FBI is coming after him? Um, you're allowed to take meetings with law enforcement, but you had to tell somebody. Yeah. And there's even that little line in The Irishman too, where the, they, the guy just forgot, oh, to, yeah, yeah, they forgot yeah. to tell him like, oh yeah, he did tell us that he was you know being approached by them. So they actually killed a guy who was a total loyal soldier yeah. who was doing the right thing. He goes, I have to take this meeting with a detective. And then they saw him with there and then boom, the guy gets whacked in the middle of the street. But um, 
Andre Katz is actually taking these meetings. He starts getting seen visiting the Brooklyn DA a little bit too often for his liking, and he's already kind of beefing with DeMeo at this point. He was beefing more with uh, one of DeMeo's most trusted uh colleagues, which was a, a Jewish kid by the name of Harvey Rosenberg, but he <laughs> he he hated being Jewish, so he'd call himself Chris, okay. which I believe was his middle name. Because <laughs> he thought like Harvey was like a weak name, you mm-hmm. know? And I think he had a huge complex because he um just like because of everything in recent history back then that had happened with the Jewish people. Oh, totally. So he felt like he was inferior or weak after everything that happened with the Holocaust uh, and all the anti-Semitism. So he had this huge chip on his shoulder, especially growing up around all Italians. He felt like he fit in better with them than he did the Jewish kids. So like, I think he got kicked out of Jewish school camp for like (laughs) beating up other kids for being Jewish, you know? And uh, it's like kind of like a Malibu's most wanted type thing. But um, <laughs> that's such a good reference. <laughs> so he uh, he gets into a beef with him, with Chris. And also Chris starts calling himself Chris DeMeo, which becomes a problem later on. Uh, but he has more of a beef with Andre Katz. And I believe at one point he punched Andre Katz or hit him with a pipe or a, the Gemini twins who we'll bring up later pistol whipped him. <laughs> And Andre Katz tried to kill Chris Rosenberg, like shot him, I think, three times. And one time it went into his face, but it just like it didn't obviously didn't kill him. Kill him. But he was like disfigured in his face. He was pissed. Yeah, yeah, that obviously that would get you a little. Yeah. (laughs) Like he would have to grow a beard after that. It Mm. was like a big issue. And that's what. Roy was really upset about because Chris was like a son to him. Oh, yeah. Because he was his first guy that he picked out for his crew. Picked him as a teenager. He he met him as a weed dealer and was like, hey, come work with me. Make some money stealing cars. He kind of groomed this kid, kind of like with what Nino did to him. So he was just kind of building his crew and he was like his most trusted aide. Right, right. So now you uh, you get into a beef with him there. There's, you know, you're probably not making as much money as you should be. Getting a little bit dicey over here. And then once you pull a gun on somebody, um, again, I keep referencing the different movies here, but, uh, you know, Casino has that other line too of uh, you, you hit him with a, a bat, he comes back with a knife. You hit him with yeah. a knife, he comes back with a gun. And you, you hit him with a gun, you better make sure he's dead because yeah. if not, he's right. coming back. Right. Uh, so what do they do? If they pull the uh, – the, this is – this is just such a – and please, 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 Max, you are the subject matter expert. I'm happy you're here. Interrupt me if I'm skipping over anything sure. in this because this this story got me pretty good, man. Um, it looked like Katz was possibly about to rat out DeMeo for immunity, which means he's got to go. So DeMeo is going to showcase his genius here by getting a very pretty neighborhood girl to act as bait. So she's going to bring him in there, and there's a scene – I think it's the final episode of season one of The Sopranos where they do something very, very similar to this, which is why you can tell where the influence gets picked up on. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> this is real life, though. Yeah. This, isn't, uh, but yeah. this isn't a script. They're, they're doing role playing of a, a different kind on this yeah. one. Yeah, so they knew uh, this one girl that one of uh, the DeMeo crews, this guy, Henry Borelli, used to date. But this guy was like, you know a real fuck boy, you know, we would call them these days. So he was around, he was always sleeping with these girls, but this girl was particularly beautiful. And 
they had kind of stopped dating or fooling around, but they were still very close friends. So they knew that Andre Katz had a weak spot for women, as most most of us do, I'd say. Yeah, yeah. except and, for those superheroes. Yeah. He was using guys. <laughs> yeah. Using the right bait for sure. Yeah. So Roy says to uh, Henry, he says, hey, uh, you remember that girl Judith? Yeah, why don't you bring her around and get her to – set up a date with mm-hmm. Andre Katz. Right, take it over. Oh, no, you're, you're good, dude. This is uh, <laughs> under the auspices of the date. Just the, wanted to lead into, yeah, sorry. Oh, it's perfect. Uh, under the auspices of the date, the very pretty lady would lure Katz back to her apartment before Katz could even take his dick pill, though. Um, <laughs> yeah. Call back. Uh, the DeMeo crew will show up and abduct him. Cat's uh, final living location, living location, folks, is actually the meat section of a supermarket in Rockaway Beach, Queens. While still alive, he is stabbed multiple times in the chest and in the back with butcher knives and is finally beheaded. His head was then crushed in a cardboard box compactor and his severed body parts were wrapped in plastic and thrown away in the supermarket dumpster, only to be discovered by a man walking his dog a few days later. The first farm-to-table murder, folks. <laughs> Whole Foods. <laughs> and I believe also a, uh, a homeless man was going through the dumpster because they thought it would just get picked up the following day. But right. the murder took place on a weekend. Uh, so no one was coming. You know, it's kind of like the opposite of the the Goodfellas heist in the beginning of the movie where he's like, oh, it's a Jewish holiday on Monday. They're not going to find out till Tuesday. Yeah. Well, they didn't realize that there's no yeah. garbage on Sunday no, come to pick no it up. Garbage nope. pick up. So after a couple of days, it starts to get a little funky over there. A homeless guy went digging through the dumpster hoping to find, you know, what he thought was a leg of lamb or something like that. And he opens up the wrapping and sees that it's a human, human leg. leg. Yeah. And they wound up actually uh. seeing that one of the limbs had a tattoo on it and that's how they knew it was a human body jesus so yeah it was pretty pretty fucked up Ugh, nothing worse than finding dead cats in your garbage right <laughs> uh, sorry that was for you kahuna no, 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 no <laughs> so um again this is that's a pretty brutal grisly murder that goes down over here so the 70s are full of hits music movies and the demeo crew oh. money is coming in left and right anybody who gets in their way seems to get an invite we're setting you up for success here, Max. Uh, if you wanted to, I'll tell you what, the best way to kind of break this down is uh, that when you have something named after you, like we said, and we kind of alluded to this on the Westies episode, DeMeo's crew had a thing called the Gemini Method named after them. So it's a great place to be, probably a lot of hot chicks, probably good food, good drinks or whatever, fun social club to be hanging out at. But you want to be careful because you could get invited there and have the best night of your life or the last night of your life. It's it's <laughs> really much. either or. It seems like that. So, um, Max, exactly what is the Gemini Club and the Gemini Method? Sure. So the Gemini Club, I believe, was initially called Phil's Lounge and then Roy DeMeo either partnered or took over it, uh, attached to the Gemini Club, which it was a, you know, kind of like a divey bar. There would be bands playing there right. uh, attached to to the bar was an apartment in the back. Now, what would happen with the Gemini method, obviously they renamed the uh, Phil's Lounge to the Gemini Lounge. Now, the Gemini method, I wrote this down because <laughs> I remember this sticking out in my head as like a 13-year-old, just the way it was yeah, described. Yeah, just the way it was described. So ultimately, the Gemini method is if you crossed Roy DeMeo, you would be invited to the Gemini Lounge. You would then go 
through the side door to the apartment. Now you the private entrance. Yeah. Now you would go in through that private entrance and you weren't coming out, at least not in one piece. Right. What would happen is you would walk in from the shadows, Roy DeMeo would glide from the other end of the hall. Chris Rosenberg would come out. He was initially the guy who would do it with a butcher knife in his hand. And before the guy really could guess what was happening, Roy DeMeo would shoot him in the head with a silenced pistol. And before the body hit the ground, he would be wrapping the head in a towel to prevent more blood spread. Now, as that happens, right after that, Chris Rosenberg or one of the other uh, Gemini crew members would then start stabbing the victim in the heart to stop the blood flow. (laughs) Well, yeah, because once you shoot him in the head, the heart is is still pumping pumping, and you're pumping. It's less messy. If there's somebody else, then stabs him in the heart to start the heart to stop the to heart stop from that pumping. Ble- yes, teamwork makes, makes a dream work, work baby. <laughs> teamwork makes a dream work, baby. But uh, it was described by one of the uh, crew members who wound up turning state's evidence. Freddie Denomi said that it was like very balletic in the way that they would do it. Like he, Roy's gliding across the hall, Chris's air in just his underwear because he didn't like to ruin his clothes. One, two, three, yeah. four, one, two. Three. So then what happens is the crew would pick up the body, bring it to the bathroom, put it in the tub and let it drain out or congeal over the time of 45 minutes to an hour. And a lot of times what they would do is you know, you have an hour to kill. You just killed somebody. You know, order a pizza. They're covered in blood. They're eating pizza with their bloody hands. One of the guys who was actually Roy DeMeo's uncle, a guy named uh, Joseph Guglielmo, who was a, uh, they would call him Dracula because he looked like Bela Lugosi's Dracula. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the crew name. When you start reading the crew names out, it's like you couldn't stop. Like you can just hear it in your head. You know, it's just like it was oh, a great yeah. time. You know, there's a there was a Jimmy. I'm gonna get the papers. <laughs> yeah, Jimmy yeah, two right. times. Jimmy two times. <laughs> and Dracula. <laughs> so they would go. Dracula actually lived in this apartment, um, and they would bleed him out in the bathtub. And eventually, later on, they would put up hooks. And what they would do is they'd have a hook, they'd hang the person on there, and they'd <sighs> slice their uh, jugglers both sides let them, let them just drink. to let them bleed out. Right. And then what they would do is they would uh, dismember the body, pack it up, bring it to the Fountain Avenue dump, because at this point, after their first uh, you know, foibles with the Andre Katz murder, they figured it out. Bring it to the Fountain yeah, Avenue don't dump. Don't put it in the dumpster. There's, bring it to the dumpster. Yeah, yourself. you bring it to the dump, and then what happens is they would do it because there was so much trash going through there, the likelihood of finding a body was next to impossible mm-hmm. with how much trash was going through the Fountain Avenue dump. Right. So they, they weren't going to find anyone there. And even ever since then, they, the FBI at a later date was like, maybe we should go check this out. And then they thought about it and they were like, there's no way we're going to find anyone. It would just no. be a huge waste of money. Right. So it's pretty brilliant. Because now it's a park, right? Yeah, that, now that, it's that a park. Pump, that park has now been... Uh, Encapsulated or covered yeah. over and turn it into a park. So kids, yeah. kids are playing there. There is something. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but are they having as much fun as a DeMeo gang? Oh, Let's be honest. Hey, it's a pizza party, man. It's <laughs> yeah. A- <laughs> Extra sauce. Hey. And a couple of the guys were very squeamish, like uh, Henry Borelli, who was one of the guys who who had kind of set up uh, Andre Katz uh, by having his ex-girlfriend uh, date him. 
he just would have to leave once they before they started dismembering and everyone would just call him a pussy they'd be like hey you're a pussy he's like i'll fucking kill anybody i just don't want to cut their head off you know there is something uh barb and by the way it is you're so right and that the word balletic is so great too because um i i just there's something there's a poetry to everything italians do <laughs> it really is that there's just something it's like when you see sebastian maniscalco perform and he's kind of like got the, <laughs> weird, the pinky up on the microphone he's just kind of gliding along the stage uh, but there's that or just you know being down the jersey shore and just hearing like there's some there's a, a weird poetry to it how it all goes down everything they do is uh <laughs> it really is a uh, uh, the, the the center of the renaissance still beats on <laughs> <laughs> but Oh my God, their story is so nuts. And by the way, the contrast to them that I thought was so interesting is again the Westies, who are just like total animals, cowboy gunslingers. So you have, um, you know, this the Gemini crew that knows exactly how to make a body disappear perfectly, and then on the other side of town. In uh, Hell's Kitchen, you have uh, the Westie sitting there with a severed head sitting on the bar with a cigarette in its mouth. Uh, hey, can we get my friend a drink here? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's such a yeah. different vibe, man. Um, but they're pretty ridiculous. That, the whole Gemini method is just absolutely genius. Um, yeah. And at this point, I mean, bodies start going left and right. Anyone who's suspected of informing or anybody who mm-hmm. crosses them in any way, I mean, they could gr- hold a grudge. I mean, Nino Gaggi himself had someone uh, hit him. He waited 12 years to kill the guy. <laughs> so, so I mean, this is who you're talking about. Well, the, it's the craziest thing, too, is that there's people ahead of him on the food chain, if you will, that absolutely fear him. Yeah. You know what I mean? So that's, that's kind of a... Uh, you know, I don't know. I'm trying to think of a good reference for it too, but there's really nothing. It's they they know this isn't a guy you take lightly here. Yeah, and Just at this point, like you know, Roy DeMeo is everyone knows he's a fucking nut. He he'll right. kill somebody. Life is cheap to him. But he surrounds himself with fucking nuts with too, killers. <laughs> yeah, and he's also making a bunch of money. So in 1975 uh, and 76, Carlo Gambino dies, and Paul Castellano takes over the family which didn't make a lot of people happy. Uh, But he didn't want to, the books were closed, but they were about to be open. And that means, you know, they're going to, they could start inducting new members into the mafia. And Roy wanted that so badly. He that's he wanted oh, that more than anything. That is you like see what I do here, guys. Yeah. I got no one, no one appreciates right, me. Right. <laughs> to no him, respect. that's, you know, right. the dream. So he wants to do it. But Paul Castellano does not want to make him because he's a psychopath. He's crazy. He's crazy. His gang deals in drugs. They're killing people, unsanctioned hits. They're making bodies disappear. And he also thinks he's just a psychopath. But he's not totally wrong. There's there's one thing. I'll tell you, before I jump into the Castellano, there was one. So we have a tendency here to be blown away because the show's called American Loser. We tend to be fans of. Like the the crazy people, the psychos, and we can laugh because there's time and space, um, you know, removed from the uh, the situations here. But again, this is just 1975. Yeah, and so, if you're living in that neighborhood in 1975, you're going you know, to have a little different attitude. To exactly. Mr. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> now there are some weird, almost charming qualities to him. But uh, DeMeo in 1975 will become a silent partner in possibly his most despicable business. Oddly enough, and we are certainly not proud of this particular Jersey connection, <laughs> but a peep show slash porn store in Brick, New Jersey. Wow. Our very own Brick, New Jersey. Maybe 
30 minutes from here. Uh, Kahuna lives near there. Um, (laughs) 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 Had partnered up with DeMeo because the owner couldn't pay money that he owed to DeMeo. So he offered him part ownership in the business instead, which sounds great. It's a peep show. It's a porn store. You go in there. It's probably double-sided dildos, a couple Riley Reed movies, you know, whatever you got to (laughs) do. But when you – here's the thing though. There was some gross stuff, okay? So that whole sex work is working, trying to validate the sex work industry as it is right now. Uh, that's good. I like some rules in order for that because it keeps out the following two things, which there certainly was a back room. If there was such a thing as a back room in a porn store, that's where you would keep the dirty ass materials being sold in this particular place, which included bestiality and child pornography. So when you murder someone who gets into a line of work that they know might end with them getting murdered, that's still a crime, but not nearly as disgusting as peddling illegal pornography. Um, in fact, members of the Gambino family told him straight up, I think it was Gadgie himself said, get out of that fucking business. I don't want you selling that shit or even involved with the guy selling that shit. And Gambino pretty much just straight up refused. So as long as the money was rolling in, they let it slide. Gambino's like you said too, Max, they're also against the drug trade. But DeMeo, he's just staying heavily involved in that as well because he was sometimes spoken to but never really punished because they're like, the money's good. The guy's going to be a huge problem if we try to discipline him. DeMeo is a classic gangster. Some very likable qualities mixed in with some of the absolute worst qualities a human can possess. Very Joe Pesci adjacent, I would say. Yeah. But if there was ever an instance where he would be considered a hero – It would be in 1975 when during an IRS investigation into his, quote, income, he was able to come up with false affidavits that showed the people on his payroll, people that he was extorting money from. No, no, no. That's not extortion. They hired me as a consultant. It's written here on this piece of paper. (laughs) He's on their payroll. And due to these false documents and obviously the intimidation and these people not willing to roll over on Roy, um, he reaches a settlement with the IRS. You don't have to like the guy that knocked the other guy out, but when you can win against the IRS, I will always be rooting oh, for yeah. you. <laughs> um, 1976, though, you are correct, sir. Carlo Gambino has died of natural causes, legit ones, not people uh, with dirt on the Clintons, kind of. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> with the death of Don, the Don, if you will, Paul Castellano uh, is going to be tapped to uh, come in and run the organization like Max was saying here. Now, he likes white collar crime. That seems to be where he's at. I like running the numbers. I like doing this. I like maybe protection money, something like that. And DeMeo's, he's a little blue-collar Brooklyn boy. He's a little too problematic for him. So again, he's not being a made man yet because largely, even though he's respected by everybody, motherfucker's uncontrollable. And he's not Sicilian, which was an issue with Paul Castellano. They are they are so funny with that. <laughs> yeah. like, I'm from Jersey. You from North Jersey or South Jersey? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. What side of the Driscoll? I need to know what you call pork roll. <laughs> um, but uh, Castellano will keep DeMeo from, quote, getting his button until, okay, and here's your loserception for the week, folks. We already gave you a Jersey connection, a couple of the loserceptions here. After noticing those wild Irish boys over in Hell's Kitchen, Castellano didn't love DeMeo. But he hated Mickey Spillane, who was able to keep the Italian mob at bay over the construction of the Javits Center. Big bucks in the Javits. Big, oh, yeah. big bucks. Oh, yeah. And by the way, that would be considered – when you can run the unions, that fits into Castellano's idea of white-collar crime as opposed to carjacking and you know chopping bodies up. So now uh, Mickey Spillane is able to keep the Italians at bay for a while here. But DeMeo becomes friendly with Jimmy Coonan. Loserception for the Westies. And without giving away the ridiculous, awesome stories of that episode, which th- these two are, they, they really, I should have released them as companion pieces. I hope that's how people, I hope that's the order you guys listen to this in, is listen to the Westies first and then this one. But they're just two great stories of two larger than life groups of people. Um, 
So Spillane actually gets whacked by DeMeo. DeMeo does this in person too. I believe there's another guy with him. Um, and that's as, done as a favor to Jimmy Coonan. And now that the Irish mob are on board with the Gambinos, well, that is a whole new revenue stream that's coming in here with a new crew of wild assassin cowboys ready to carry out murder contracts. Let the Irish kids do it. Uh, that's <laughs> and they're giving that, and they're giving ten percent of everything they make over to the Gambino right. family. Dip yep. my beak, right? In exchange, so. they get a little bit of uh, the extra protection yep. too. And then, I mean, it's it's a wild time. It is such a different city now when you think about it, man. Um, but so this, because of uh, you know the, the new income stream and everything like that, there's no choice now. So Castellano has to give him his button, if you will. Yeah. So, um, DeMeo loved chaos but demanded order. Um, I'm going to set you up here. Uh, Ed Grillo, you want to run with that one? No. You don't? Okay. <laughs> See, he's honest. He's a, we got a couple other people on the show that are just like, well, you know, was, uh, it was a, don't tell me you didn't do your homework. You know what I mean? Don't give me the book reports. Be, be honest, like Max. All right. Um, DeMeo loved chaos, but like I said, he demanded order. And in 1978, even his own crew isn't untouchable from his own violence. DeMeo still carried out non-sanctioned killings. Okay. I'm talking about like just people disappear or whatever. Like you said, no body, no crime. But if you actually wanted to kill somebody, you had to go through the proper channels like my father set up with the syndicate. You know what I mean? Had to be approved by the higher ups. Oh, yeah. That's because you, that's that's big business. You're effectively ending a person's opportunity to be an earner. Right. So, um, but 1978 here, he uh, he winds up killing Ed Grillo, who was a member of his own crew. Yes. So you, did we jog your memory? A little bit. Yeah. yeah but continue. So it's hard uh, to keep track of how many people this right, guy right, killed. Right. When, when, the, when, the, when the hits are in the hundreds, yeah. it's when hard When you can to, uh, scroll down to the bottom, it says notable killings. And you're like, hang on, he had unnotable killings? <laughs> so yeah. he killed – so there's 79 that were confirmed, found the bodies. They know – it was connected to the DeMeo crew. He killed two football teams. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, he, but the number is probably closer to 200. Yeah. Yeah, Holy because shit. they were just doing hits. It wasn't, and you'll see some of the mob guys who now have YouTube channels will say like, there's that guy, Michael Francis. I don't know about this. This is cool. So he he used to be, he was the son of Sonny Francis, who was a big time guy. And he was, Michael Francis is the guy who, uh, was doing the gas scam in the 80s and was pulling in millions and millions of dollars a week. So he wound up uh, doing time and he left the life and now he has a YouTube channel. He found God and all that stuff. But he's like, Roy DeMeo definitely didn't kill hundreds of people. He would never do that. There aren't even that many guys for him to kill in the mob. What he doesn't realize is that he's not killing other mob guys. He's killing other carjackers, yep, right. regular people. He's taking on hits taking for pay. The, taking out the competition. Yeah, so the family isn't paying him to do these jobs because they don't do that. You don't get – if you're a part of the mafia, you're not being paid to kill somebody. That's your job. You have to do it. Right. All the other stuff that comes with it is the perk of being it. But you still have to get your hands dirty every your now assignment. and then. And you're not getting paid to do it. So it's the Today's truth, man. work order is. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, what's scarier than waking up and finding a severed horse's head in your bed? I mean, unless you're dating Amber Heard. Um, <laughs> snuck it in there. All right. <laughs> still got it, folks. Um, but you're right. And the chaos is crazy here, too, because Ed Grillo, like we said, is a member of his own crew. It's the first time that it became known just because you're on the crew 
doesn't mean you can't get fired. And that DeMeo crew is like the legendary crew out here. So the DeMeo crew is <laughs> – that's um, that's the delta force of uh, um, organized crime, if you will. Um, but DeMeo still had his favorites. Like you mentioned, our, our fellow uh, – the, the gentleman here, Rosenberg, he's a member of the DeMeo crew since he was 16. And pa, I believe he was the first member, right? Yeah. Now, he winds up getting in trouble with the Cuban drug cartel. He's yeah. founding, one of the founding losers. He's the, he's the, the <laughs> founding Stu, loser. Stu and Nick. Stu and Nick. <laughs> oh, man. Um, so Rosenberg winds up getting into a beef with the Cubans. Yeah. So this actually becomes a huge problem. So what happens is he's been going around saying his name is Chris DeMeo because he wants people to know that he's affiliated with Roy. And what he does is he winds up getting in contact with these Cubans from Florida. They wind up coming up to New York for a Coke deal. And he just decides that he's going to rob them and kill them. He does. So now he steals a bunch of blow from the Cubans uh, and the Cubans back in down in Florida, Florida are, Hey, what's going on? There's this guy DeMeo. He says his name's DeMeo. So it winds up, being linked to Roy. Now it winds up being uh, it, it, the, you know, Nino Gaggi and Paul find out about it. So now they're like, there's going to be a war. Cubans are going to be coming up. There's going right, to be right. an all out Blood bloody death. war oh, yeah. in the streets in New York between these drug cartels and the so mafia. Army over, is the, over the missing cocaine. Yeah. Plus over the missing coke and the, and the people. Yeah. So, now they're like, Roy, you need to take care of Chris. He doesn't want to do it. He's waiting on it. And one day he uh, gets a call from his wife and there is a dark skinned gentleman sitting in a car outside of Roy's house mm -hmm. who he thought was a Cuban drug lord who knocked on the door of the house and no one answered. Do you want to take it over? Keep running with it. This is a great okay. story. So and this is all, and keep in mind, like this has been going on. I think it's weeks at this point. Yeah, he's it's been, been a told, few weeks. He's been told, kill this guy. And he it's doesn't like want to kill him. Right. Because it's it like the, his son. That's right. It was it's his first, yeah. Firstborn. <laughs> the first, the first follower of his cult, you know, yeah. <laughs> if you really think about it. So they immediately, him, I think Freddie Dem Denomi, who was a uh, previously in a previous life, a race car driver, and his cousin or uncle, uh, Joe Guglielmo Dracula, pile into the car. They see this kid. The kid sees them running towards his car. He takes off. He's driving. They're firing like madmen on the street. They drive for seven miles until they finally get to the kid and catch up with him. And this is, you know, daytime traffic in right. Long Island. Right. Uh, and they wind up pumping him full of bullets. And it turns out the kid is, I think his name was Dominic Ragucci. Yes. God damn. I'm so happy. And he was so a, he's here. <laughs> he was a 19 year old college student. Right. Who was just going door to door selling vacuums to pay for his school. Trying to make extra bucks yeah. to pay for his tuition. And Roy is so paranoid over this. He's worried that Cubans are coming up to, you know, kill him and his family because, you know, cartels are kind of known for that. Oh, they're, it's they're a little bad. different than yeah, La Cosa Nostra where mm -hmm. they're only killing you. Right. Uh, but the drug cartels, it's a little different. So he winds up killing this kid and it's a huge story because in broad daylight, a 19 year old kid was gunned down. All right. And innocent. Yeah, innocent nineteen year old. And DeMeo showed uh some some it's so crazy to see a sociopath show empathy, but he was torn the fuck up. According to his son, he didn't he couldn't well he went they went back to the house, he grabbed the whole family, piled them up, they went to a motel upstate somewhere, and 
according to uh, Albert DeMeo in his book, he, I, he was so torn up that he didn't eat for like a week or two or something. And he was just so fucked up over it. He couldn't sleep. And it's considered the turning point in his life where everything started to go downhill from there. Well, up until this point, I think his wife was actually looking the other way. Oh, yeah. You know, it was the, 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 the mob wives are always the funniest because there's either the ones that are like so into the life or then the ones like, oh, he just he works in sanitation. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. But yeah, that's a pretty wild one too. And there's uh, there's first of all the chaos of that. Imagine um, imagine hearing you know the you know ten ten winds radio traffic update. It's like oh, there's an overturned tractor trailer on the BQE. Uh, Roy DeMeo is involved in a high speed car chase, <laughs> so you want to avoid. There's going to be major delays as he's murdering a, a Cuban soldier. <laughs> um, it's yeah, pretty. This, nice. this made the papers big time, and you know, like and, you know the whole thing was blown up completely. I mean, that was when you got. Like you say, Max, a, a 19-year-old college kid that was trying to work his yeah. way through college, and he's uh, mistakenly uh, uh, taken for a, a Cuban drug cartel, it's, and they're shooting him up in in a residence, yeah, and a this very is, nice residence of uh, Long Island. And this is the point, too, where Roy has to kill Chris. He has no choice. Yeah. He has to do it, and it has to be a public thing. Like, it needs to be in the papers because that's what the Cubans want. Right. So they wind up uh, – Pretty much doing the Gemini method to him as far as shooting him in the head a few times, luring him in, killing him. But they couldn't dispose of the body because it had to be known. Right. It had to be in the, the papers. The body had to be found. The body had to be found. Big, so big they, splash in the papers. The, uh, the Gemini twins, Joey Testa and Anthony Center, I believe both of them shot Chris in the back of the head. Roy shot him first, but I believe he hesitated. And Chris didn't die immediately. I yeah. believe he like kind of like looked up or like got up, tried to get up. And that's when the Gemini twins came in and just shot him. He and they all did one knee. They said, yeah, it wasn't a quick it, it, for, for what the, the way that you kind of phrased it, which was so beautifully that the poetry and motion of the Gemini. Yeah. Method, this was not a clean one. This no. was, this was ugly. And I think the Gemini twins did. They, there was a lot of resentment towards Chris. I think it, a lot of it had to do with him being Jewish or non-Italian, but then also him being like a son to Roy when all of them were kind of vying for that next spot, right, right, you know, right. and trying to. There's, favorite? Favorite? there's a the Tony favorite? and Christopher yeah. type thing. For sure. Out. Yeah, but absolutely. There's also too, I believe when they kill Ralphie in The Sopranos, spoiler alert, 98. Um, <laughs> but uh, I think there is a scene where the two of them are sitting there and they're cooking like pasta as they're sitting there in their like underwear after they're cooking. Oh, yeah. Like, like Tony's eating peanut butter out of the yeah, jar that- on a knife, <laughs> which is actually better than him dipping cold cuts into mayo, which he's done in a few episodes. So foul. <laughs> A jar of mayo on the couch. Uh, and by the way, just real quick too, you guys, I, I hope everybody knows Max is one of my favorite guests I have on the show. Super funny stand-up comic too. But buddy, I can't help but picture you reading the DeMeo book, then looking down at your summer reading list that says The Hobbit on that. <laughs> like, nope, nope, it's over. Well, two years previously, uh, tr- two years prior to that, I had read Howard Stern's Private Parts for, uh, as my summer it. reading. That'll do it. Yeah, and they called home about it. <laughs> so... <laughs> <laughs> my mom was not happy. My dad, on the other hand, thought it was funny. It's a- <laughs> my mom, not so much. Not so much. Yeah, no. Uh, Moms are like that. Yeah. <laughs> they can be. They, uh- <laughs> so uh, now this is the – again, that's going to lead into a whole other state of depression for him. So he's already worked up because he killed this innocent kid. All right. And then uh, things are going downhill for him, like you said here. 
And then unfortunately, so he's now killing a guy who's like, you know, practically his son that he helped groom and, you know, raise up, if you will, through the streets. And going to be ugly. And like you guys said, they made sure that as instructed by the Cubans, uh, Rosenberg's body is found in Queens and it makes the papers. So you ever hear that Dave Attell joke? I'm just talking about it. It's one of the Attell's old jokes. Um, but he had a joke where he was just talking about how brazen the mafia is. He goes, I don't like how brazen the mob's getting. You notice you hear it on the news now. There's a mafia killing Wednesday at 11. <laughs> <laughs> but when uh, when he's not murdering folks, though, DeMeo does continue his very lucrative business of carjacking. Uh, the FBI estimated that he had the largest carjacking operation in New York City history. Not the time, New York City history. So the cars would leave New York City. They would hit Dubai and then wind up in Puerto Rico. Those in on the gambit would pocket around $30,000 a week. That's 80s money, folks. Okay? That's 80s money. Uh, adjusted for inflation, that is four gallons of gas. <laughs> <laughs> so now one legit car dealer threatens to expose DeMeo and his associates, and he is found dead before ever presenting information to the authorities. So yeah, just don't, don't do – this is just a legit – going back to what you were saying too, but it's not just mob guys he's murdering. This guy's a legit car dealer. So I'm like, hey, man, I'm running an honest business here. What are you doing? <laughs> yeah, and – and I mean, he's surrounding himself with killers. So, you know, he there is a, an interview on YouTube with Sammy the Bull where he's talking about meeting Roy DeMeo a couple of times. And uh, when they were talking about opening the books and proposing new members into the mafia, he went up to Roy because he was an acting captain at the time right. for I think Sammy was that for his captain and Roy was an acting captain for Nino at the time. I think Nino was in jail and he said, so are you going to you going to propose anybody, any of your crew? Because you got some guys who put in some work and he's like, put in some work. My coffee boys got six murders. So <laughs> this is what he says. Put in work. My, My coffee boy. boys got six murders. And he's like, what? He's like, yeah, you got to keep them sharp. He's uh, like six more. How do you? He's like, yeah, I got two hundred. And Sammy's like, how, how do you get two hundred? He's like, it's not just that, you know. We're not doing work for the boss. We're doing our own thing. Sometimes right. you got to keep your you got to keep your guys sharp. I'm, you don't do that. Uh. Yeah, that's what he said. He said you don't keep your guys sharp, do you? And he's like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I keep my guys sharp. And he just leaves there, being like, this guy's a fucking psychopath, <laughs> without a doubt. That's I mean, and by the way, too, the uh, the other thing because we're leading up now to uh, the Epolito. Uh, murders. So that's, uh, I believe, the Epolitos. And stop me when I'm wrong here. These were also made men in the Gambino family. Yeah, father and son. So it, oh, I call them brothers. I'm sorry. So it's uh, uh, Gagey and uh, DeMeo are going to um, wind up pulling off the murders here in a feud that nearly busts up the entire operation. Yeah. You can't be, you want to talk about unsanctioned hits, that's one thing. Killing a made man in another family, bad thing. Killing a made man in your own family. Oh, boy. Right. Um, <laughs> right. That makes Thanksgiving very tense. Always does, yeah. <laughs> the, um, now, after uh, after these murders take place, uh, Gadji's actually apprehended and arrested while DeMeo is able to escape. DeMeo would get a measure of revenge, though, by murdering the witness that put Gadji away. So he does wind up doing time for the murders and stuff like that. But uh, the, the key witness, uh, you know, Roy DeMeo made sure to pay him a visit. Yeah. The uh, glorious- well, sends a message to future- uh, uh, of snitches. course. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, the glorious 70s are over, unfortunately, and the 80s will prove to be a very brutal time for Roy and his crew. Although they are still very feared, enough that even Castellano, the family boss, put a hit out on him and nobody would take it. Even John Gotti turned down the hit. 
Okay. <laughs> Recorded surveillance said that even John Gotti was not exactly looking forward to trying to kill Roy on account of, well, he's got, he's a tough guy. And then he has this flock of killers around him at all times too. It's it's not good. It's like the the final boss level of uh, a video game. <laughs> yeah. where like you got these are the elite super soldiers that are protecting the boss here. So yeah, even his coffee guys. Yeah, his <laughs> coffee boys just... got six hits. <laughs> oh man, now, that's such a line too, man. But again, when even John got, he's like, I don't really know. We're talking about a guy named the Teflon Don, the guy who was the king of cool under pressure. And then meanwhile, you know, he's sitting there like, I don't, I don't really, I don't know what we're gonna do with this one here. But uh, killing Roy wouldn't be business. Um, it would be a call to the mattresses, which for those who don't know the term, when the mobsters are going to the mattresses, that means it's all out war. It's a war. Uh, yeah. Earning is a little bit suspended. Things are about to get tight. Bullets are about to start flying. So um, the order to kill DeMeo had to be passed down to his own crew. And it struck a very eerie connection to other murders by DeMeo himself. Okay. Um, and Max, jump in anytime I'm missing something sure. here, brother. Uh DeMeo himself will actually disappear for 10 days. On his uh, daughter's birthday, I believe. Oh. His He didn't show up to his daughter's birthday party. And that and was, he's the family guy. Yeah. It's a tough one, man. That's uh, It's an ugly life, man. That's the whole thing. We, we glamorize because- And again, like we said family. earlier, he was like, you know, would never miss a, you know his kids' games or any sort of events or anything like that. So when that happens- mm -hmm. There you has to be a thing where the wife had to know when, when he missed the oh, daughter's yeah. birthday. She's like, okay, he's not coming back. Um, he winds up disappearing for 10 days. Uh, and it's, again, he's ironically, oh, hang on, let's see here, pull my notes back up. Disappears for 10 days and his partially frozen body is found in the trunk of a Cadillac. His Cadillac. In Sheepshead Bay, Brooklyn. Yes. So there's um, a couple Goodfellas allusions here to draw from Frankie Carbone frozen in the meat truck. Um, you know, the, the oh, what's it, Pinky and the other guy and his wife dead in the yeah, Cadillac. Frenchy. Frenchy, there it is. Um, all these people. So all of these things are kind of coming from – Scorsese's sitting there taking notes sometimes. I just think he's like yeah. reading the truth. Yeah. He's like you, Max. You're a young Scorsese. Yeah. Oh, thank you so much. <laughs> I'm a bit taller. It's uh, – yeah. I mean you could either make uh, multiple, you know, iconic, you know, iconoclastic movies or you got that really great joke about your dick. <laughs> <laughs> But now it is assumed that Castellano had ordered DeMeo dead because he was a loose cannon. And Castellano will ironically be shot and killed during his first trial. And with a vacuum of leadership, Castellano and now dead, Roy DeMeo is gone. And all that remains for the Gambino crime family is the new head, the Teflon Don himself, John Gotti. Yeah. And one thing about Roy DeMeo being found, um, they found his body in the trunk, but there's a photo of the crime scene and there's a chandelier on top of his body. It's very eerie. Is there any way to pull that up? I could pull it up on my phone, but it's so bizarre. Um, he just had, I believe he had a chandelier in his trunk. So and when they put it, it up for yeah, us. when they put it in the trunk, take the chandelier when they went to put, put him in, yeah, in, they just put that on top of him. So it's very eerie. Roy DeMeo corpse. This is now. This is nuts too, because we did an episode about the um, the South Philly mob wars, and uh, our buddy Davey Bohannon First was able one, to pull yeah. up uh, 
all this crazy footage, man. It's nuts. These are oh, these like are Angelo Bruno. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a tough one. You can see. Oh my God, you can see the friggin'. <laughs> yeah, you could see the. Uh, and also, so he had a bullet wound in his hand. So from what they say happened, um, there's not exact confirmation because no one who was there has ever testified about it. Right. But the story is that Nino yeah. was the first one to do it, and. You know, Roy got called in and apparently he did another thing that is in a very famous mob movie. He left his jewelry and uh, a Catholic pamphlet at his home. Yeah. At his home. And his son found it Uh. after. So he kind of knew. But yeah, he got called in and he knew he was being sent for. He went like a soldier and just took it and uh, he put his hand up and he had a bullet wound in his hand. And then the rest of the uh, bullets were to the head and body. Right. And he was, yeah, killed. They and said put the, in the, the wound in the hand though was more like a, it was defensive, a defensive, yeah. uh, defensive act. Like you just automatically yeah. you put your hand up to stop a bullet. Yeah. How do you not? But yeah. It's, yeah. Holy crap, man. Um, bullet face, comes face. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. We are, uh, we are going to land this plane here, guys. So if either of you had anything else you wanted to chime in with. Yeah, I do want to say one thing. Please, so uh, a lot of – I've always been passionate about this story because it's so fucking nuts yeah. uh, and fascinating. And it's so surprising that a lot more people don't know about him. John Gotti's a household name. Sammy the Bull's a household name. Mm-hmm. There's a few of these. Vinny the Chin maybe Christian still. Christian Cordes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the Cahoons. Uh Lucky but Roy DeMeo, yeah. to me, I feel like is has like such a far more interesting story than all of those guys. So it's, it's surprising to me that uh, there wasn't. And the only depictions in the media tend to be through uh, Richard Kalinsky, who is known as the Iceman. Uh, Jersey's own. Yeah, Jersey's own <laughs> Iceman, who he's, he claims to have also killed Roy DeMeo, but he also claims to have been a, a shooter in the Paul Castellano hit. And I'm pretty sure he was on the grassy knoll in November, 1963. <laughs> yeah, right. So he's a liar. He's embellished. It's been proven that he had very minimal to do with Roy DeMeo. I believe Roy DeMeo uh, showed up one day and beat the shit out of him because they were both in the porn industry and he was trying to shake him down. And Roy hit, Richard and he knew that Roy was obviously a made guy at this point. Yeah. But his story, I believe what he did was he read Murder Machine while he was in prison. And then when he was given those interviews, he started, he started saying all this stuff it. and doing um, the book. The great Uncle Paulie would uh, – he let me watch the Iceman uh, interviews on HBO when they first came out. And he was telling me, he goes, pay attention because you can see him get drunker as they go. They, they, they <laughs> snuck in liquor for yeah. him to get him to talk a little bit. Now, Lawrence Patrick, yes, sir. one last Jersey connection here. So – uh, the side-by-side photo as brought up by the great C.J. Cullen here to um, you know illuminate Max's point more. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah. Look at that. FBI Newark under the the, the picture, the mugshot of uh, our boy Roy DeMeo. And right. then right next to him is uh, Richard Kuklinski with his uh, mugshot. Yeah. Now, what town in New Jersey? That's uh, the police department of Dumont, New Jersey. Now, Dad – <laughs> Did you maybe perhaps grow up at Six Poplar Street in Dumont? A, a lot of great people came out of Dumont, New Jersey. Oh, my God. And also, to be clear, he did kill people. He killed, I, I believe he killed five people, but he claims to have killed oh, yeah. many, many, many more, like hundreds of people, and he was just alive. He's a Jersey City bullshitter. That's yeah, all he yeah, is, Yeah, absolutely. Which, you, what you got to say? His documentary is amazing, by the way. Oh, for sure. It's, it's fascinating stuff. Crazy. 
That's how you get your special on HBO, though, too. Right? <laughs> and the movie. And oh, the is movie. that how you do it? The movie yeah. was good as well. Yeah. The uh, the creepiest murder for Kukwinski, uh, as we're landing the plane here, um, the creepiest one to me was that he went to a gay bar or something. He had to kill a gay guy. Oh, and he's yeah. like, he like, walks up. He's like all decked out in his 70s disco stuff. He starts like grinding up on the gay guy and then shoots a needle into him with some sort of a, a you know, for lack of a better term, poison or cyanide. Yeah. Cy- Something then, like that. And yeah, just cyanide. walks away. Yeah. And he's like, oh, God, that's creepy, man. You know, yeah. you're just dancing on the dance floor or whatever. You feel a little pinch and all of a sudden. But, yeah. Holy crap, man. Yeah, that guy wasn't expecting to get poked by a needle. You no. know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. What better way to end than on a good, a good solid butt fucking joke? <laughs> uh, sorry to the Sunquist family for having to hear that one, man. Thank you so much for having me on this one. I think I you brought it to. up to you before. If you ever do an episode on Roy DeMeo, I I was it like, was I'd love to do timing. it. Great. Yeah. Great. And then when I heard the Westies, I re-triggered my mind and I was like, I got to do it. it I left perfect. out a lot of stuff too because, I mean, you could talk about him for hours and hours and hours. And what's the name of the book too if people want to uh, Murder Machine is the one uh, that's – uh, mostly about him, like his crew, but it's has a lot to do with Dominic Montilio, who was uh, Nino Gaggi's nephew, who was around the crew. And that's where they got a lot of the information hey, from, all the inside yeah. information. <laughs> um, and then also for The Sins of My Father, which was written by Albert DeMeo, uh, which is kind of his recount of what it was like growing up with his dad. That's got to be incredible. The influence, because his dad kind of started to like let him know things as he was getting older and kind of like show him the life a bit. Uh, See if he took to it. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's I'll, I'll never forget the, uh, the absolute certainty of uh, Anthony Cianci, one of my best friends. Absolute certainty. He called his shot for he goes, end of the Sopranos is going to go like this. AJ takes over the family. <laughs> Not quite how it wound up. <laughs> oh, and also now that I say uh, uh, Murder Machine, I think came out in 1992, not in the 80s. Because I, I believe Albert DeMeo had like a, a, a mental breakdown when it came out. And I remember that being Oof. in the early 90s. So I just yeah, yeah, bring I that think. up. No, that's a tough one, man. That's, uh, you know. Yeah, you find out your dad. I mean, it, it's like. What's worse, a murder or being involved in child pornography? It's like the that's, two worst things that you're, you know. Yeah. And it's uh, <laughs> the uh, and it, it's it just what a complicated guy. Um, yeah. The uh, the butcher of Gemini Lounge, as I believe I've heard him referred to here before. Yeah, um, you can look at those home movies like you used to, wouldn't you? <laughs> yeah. Wouldn't you find out a little creepy. more about oh, yeah. Daddy Dearest? Yeah. Uh, going back to the Iceman, you see Kuklinski uh, on Christmas Day underneath the tree with the kids. Meanwhile, like hours earlier, he was murdering somebody in the streets. But yeah. so he says. He's a bullshitter. But um, real quick, I got to say thank you so much to uh, CJ Cullen behind the boards over there, my friend. Anything you want to plug on the way out? Oh, I get I, nothing right now. I'm just happy that I'm going on vacation soon. <laughs> you earned it. You earned it, my friend. Uh, talented actor and filmmaker and great friend of ours, man. Um, and then also, thank you to uh, Max Antonucci. You're always a great guest. Thank this, you for having me. This I is your magnum opus. This was perfect today. Yeah, <laughs> I hope to come back on again whenever you go over Absolutely. another psychopath. Yeah, I was going to say you, you'll be our Very resident. knowledgeable on this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> True on that one. Of, of course, by the way, thank you to uh, Mike and Ming over to Shared Universe. Always take great care of us. Uh, the Kahuna could not be here today. He sends all of his love out to you folks, okay? He's busy out in Hollywood making moves or he's at the Smod Castle doing another podcast. I just, you know, you let, <laughs> you let, you let the kid direct something and he just That's gets right. a little. <laughs> he did say this, though. This is pretty cool. I just want to end on this one. Um, 
Again, if you guys want to watch Escape from Jacksonville, it is completely free over on YouTube. The link is in my bio on all social medias. You go over there, just check the thing out. Leave a comment. Just say American Loser, Founding Loser, say Roy DeMeo, whatever you want to write on there so I know it's you guys. It's the Laugh Buttons account. So I can't really get to see that and really interact with you guys as much as I want to. But if you leave a note as to how you found it in the comment section, that helps boost the algorithm. Last time I checked, like I said, if you like those clips over on my Instagram at KP Burke Sucks, that's where we're putting up different clips and stuff like that from that. We got a couple more projects coming up too. Um, but that's, again, 5.3 million so far on that one COVID joke. So I'm going to keep riding that one to the bank, folks, okay? <laughs> KP needs to get out of the – he's trying to get out of the trades, okay? It's <laughs> <laughs> getting closer there too. Max, where can people find you on social media, bud? Uh, at Max Antonucci on all platforms. Um, we're going to tag you in the, the picture. Oh, perfect. For sure. uh, Max is your friend. Friend.com is my website that I never update. <laughs> he sure is. And uh, you catch me at New York Comedy Club. I'm there on a weekly basis, a few times a week. And uh, July 1st, I'll be doing AC Comedy Club. Fucking A, man. Good shit on that. Upcoming tour dates uh, as we come. Uh, I will update you guys there. It's at KP Burke Sucks over on Instagram. KP Burke over on Facebook. Hit me up any of that stuff, man. A lot of good stuff going on here. Life is good right now. Um, Lawrence Patrick, anything to say to the people uh, on the way out? I'll, I'll be out in the back. It's, <laughs> you'll be in the Digging back. in the dirt. You'll be something. in the Gemini Lounge. Yeah, yeah there you go. <laughs> <laughs> this is the last thing I want to say. It was pretty cool. Um, so uh, we love the Kahuna. It's been almost four years of knowing him, right? He was our first engineer, sat in on the show. We asked him one question just to be polite to him. And he hasn't shut the fuck up for four years. <laughs> All right. But, <laughs> but we love him. He did a great job directing this. Something really cool happened at the Smod Castle. CJ, you might know about this. Uh, Kevin Smith was in town this he weekend. He was this weekend. Yeah, he was in town. And Kahuna's telling me that he's sitting there and he's uh, – and, and I was very lucky um, – I was very grateful that, you know, Kevin tweeted out about the special on his Twitter account. Um, big, big validation for a guy who used to sneak his movies in on VHS and, you know, pretend, <laughs> oh, yeah, I wasn't watching anything, you guys. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, but, uh, you know, pretty cool moment for me on that one. Pretty cool moment uh, for the Kahuna is that as Kahuna is setting up, because he, he worked with Kevin at the Smodcast this week, and he's setting up stuff like a Q&A or something. And uh, Kevin Smith just leans in and he goes, How's it feel knowing four million people saw something you shot, motherfucker? And Kahuna's just like, he said the hair stood up on. So he fanboyed out hard and he is so disciplined with that to not let it get to him that he's getting to work with people he's, you know, uh, so passionate about and stuff. But he called me up and goes, I got to tell you this real quick, man. <laughs> so, uh, we just, I'm so happy that that guy's getting the credit he deserves. If you guys want to hire him out for anything like that, man, make your move now because the kid's moving on to bigger and better things. I'm not going to get to keep him that much longer, I don't think. I'll hang on to him for every last breath that I. I have in my body but eventually that boy's about to take off so That's what we want though. yeah we want it for him right oh he's right. the best right. man arcade productions is his company guys so please check that one out cj thank you so much to you brother i appreciate it's you always guys. great being here man oh it's thank a fun you. one man you know it's how good. i get in all this i emailed kevin smith when i was in college on aol be like hey i need an internship can i come in and he answers goes sure <laughs> <laughs> yeah. can you be at red bank in 40 minutes <laughs> basically that was in 1997 no shit yeah I didn't know that one, man. Crazy. <laughs> uh, well, guys, we're going to end this one here. Uh, absolutely loved having everybody on this episode. This was a great one. Very fun. That was Roy DeMeo, American Loser. An American Loser, the day I was born. An American Loser, the day I was born. An American Loser, the day I was born.